Welcome to Ranking 76. We're ranking the heroes and villains of the American West. I'm Eric. And I'm Matt. And I'm so excited that we get to talk about one of the best Western movies of all time. K- kind of. One of the one of the side characters. But yes, we're talking, or we're marching to the anniversary of the OK Corral shootout. And today we're going to start off with John Ringo or Johnny Ringo. Matt, what do you know about Johnny Ringo? Um, just what you told me last week. Uh, Doc Holliday apparently asked him to be his Huckleberry, which sounds adorable, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I don't even know what that means. It never once dawned on me to look up what does Huckleberry, what is a Huckleberry? mean. I don't even think Watch we should mean like it. a bad guy or something. Yeah, no, no, no. We should just say what we think it is. <laughs> it's a nice. <laughs> fruity flower that's green and yellow green and yellow wouldn't that be blue no i mean it's green there's green in it and then it's yellow oh okay no i see i'm not even gonna put a guess in because my brain is just kind of melted uh from work so i don't even know what it looks like um we're gonna try something new because i know not necessarily new. I know some of the uh, the Rexy Paws, most of them have a ranking around uh, just what the person looks like. And we don't really describe what the person looks like that often, which I think just for uh, for people to have an image in their head, I'm going to show Matt a picture of what Mr. Ringo looks like, and he can just describe it for you. So I'm going to show him the cover of my book. Matt, do you Holy see Holy crap, Matt? you know who he looks like? Who does he look like? So I believe it was Bill Paxton in Tombstone who had that huge beard. Didn't he have a huge mustache? Yes, he was one of the Earp brothers, though. Yeah, right, yeah, right. I know. Um, but he looks exactly like Bill Paxton, kind of. I mean, his hair is terrible. It's very flat on his forehead, on his head, with a big old <laughs> hard part. But it's very man, that mustache. Can't even see his upper lip. It's just a, and he's frowning too. Look at that bottom lip. He's like, ooh. Look at me. Well, to be fair, with that mustache, I don't know if you can smile because it weighs probably about nine pounds. <laughs> but the title of the book is The King of the Cowboys. So he must be a cowboy. I mean, he doesn't have a cowboy. He has a tie on. He can't be too much of a cowboy. I picture him wearing that big old, like, what are they called? The big hats. Um, the 10-gallon hat. Yeah, the 10-gallon hat. Yeah, that, that, I, I picture him wearing that. And that's why his hair is so flat. You know, take off that hat. His John. hat, his hair is remarkably flat. I will give you that. It's almost like somebody just like pressed down real hard on his head. It's almost Maybe like his flat. mom. Get your hair together, Johnny. I'll go with it. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, anyway, uh, quite the tash he has. But so. John Ringo was born in modern-day Green Forks, Wayne County, Indiana, on March 3rd, 1850. His family does have a marriage tied to Jesse James after a distant cousin <gasps> marries, marries Jesse's mother. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> married him. his mother? Uh, so a distant cousin ma- married Zerelda. A You remember Sims? He was very... He was kind of like the in-between husband for Zerelda. 
didn't treat the family very well. Uh, mentioned him. Sims. Last name was Sims. Yes. Um, uh, sounds familiar. I mean, he was in it for a hot minute, probably just as long as that sentence was. Um, I'll be honest with you. This doesn't come up in the story again. I just thought it was a nice little tidbit. But for the Ringos, it is un it is unsure what Johnny's father did. Martin, uh, his he never really owns property. Uh, the the years leading up to Johnny being born, so he likely would have been a laborer. His parents raised their five children with very strong religious beliefs, which the irony will be lost on you by the end of this episode. And the rest of the Wingo, the Ringos had, well, uh, law troubles, we'll just say. One cousin was killed by a posse after being suspected by a murder, and another was killed by a sheriff when he refused to turn himself in. So he's already hanging out with the wrong bunch, and that bunch is his family. So that's great. Good start for Johnny. During the first decade of his life, he would see other family members die from sickness, largely tuberculosis. We will be talking about tuberculosis so much in the next two episodes, largely because we're going to be covering Doc Holliday next episode, and he notoriously or famously has tuberculosis. But this seems to be like we're in the time period where everyone has TB. And everyone doesn't seem to know how it spreads, which if I remember right, I think it's from like bodily fluid, not like like coughing on people, not the other things, you perverts. Yeah, but, yeah. I think it's like saliva and stuff, right? Yes. Saliva. Yeah. Um, that type of thing. So nobody really knows how it's contracted. So everyone's just kind of hanging out with each other. So it's probably not surprising. A few members. Well, tuberculosis itself is something like a, a bacterial infection of your lungs, isn't it? Yes, it takes over. I your just lungs. remember in Tombstone, um, Val Kilmer coughed a lot, <laughs> coughing up blood. Yeah, yeah, he was very sweaty. Uh, yeah, Val Kilmer did a. I mean, Val Kilmer is Doc Holiday was very good. I can't wait to actually talk about that because it's just fun picturing that accent uh every every time you watch but okay one of the family members that catches tb is unfortunately johnny's father martin uh when he contracts it during the mexican war and in 1856 they move to liberty missouri where martin opens up a general store now not really sure why they moved to missouri i think it's probably because of a free land claim i believe an uncle died and they could take it from there but um seems like a weird place to move if you have TB, because I don't think it's the most uh, inviting place. High humidity, not great. Um, they live in Davies County during the Civil War, and it's right in the area of the Bushwhackers. Now, don't know how much violence he saw, but he definitely would have been around uh, the around the violence. And let's just pretend he met Jesse James because that's just fun. Maybe they had a family reunion. That was going to be my question to you. Did he run into them? Yep, he did. He, yep, they were best, best friends, best cousin friends, kind of. Except for I don't think Jesse. He actually would. tried to stop Jesse James from <laughs> being a part of the Bushwhackers, right? Yes, he did. Yep. Yeah. Cause he's a, he's a brave little boy. Yes, he did. Um, but they're not really 
in Missouri long, because even before the end of the Civil War in 1864, the family moves again because Martin's TB symptoms are just getting worse. As they're moving across to California, little Johnny doesn't have the easiest trip because he injures his foot when the wagon wheel rolls over it. Which sounds horrible. Well, the wheels are made of wood at this point, right? Yes, and they're incredibly heavy. They don't have shocks or anything to, like, you know, help. I mean, they're not, like, cushiony. Nope, pure wood just running across. You're out for a while. I would still be complaining about it. And if it happened to me when I was 14, I'm 34 now. I'd still be complaining. Uh, Unfortunately, that's not the worst part of the trip. Because as as Johnny's father, Martin, is on watch... Um, I'm unsure how this can happen, but he has his shotgun loaded and the trigger got caught on Martin's pant leg. Does it blow his leg off or? Uh, no, it killed him. Oh, jeez. Okay. Um, without saving, while saving a lot of graphic detail, it was very clear he was dead. We'll leave it at that gun charge. Went, uh, the shotgun went off and yeah, you can fill in the gap from that. Johnny is 14 years old when his family literally leave the next day. They have to bury his father on the roadside and just keep moving because honestly, there's nothing back for them in Missouri. The mother doesn't want to go back, so they're kind of just destined to sit out in California. But Johnny does take on more responsibilities, such as driving the horses, and is already said to be a pretty good shot. So he does kind of help his family out through the next couple of years when they move out to San Jose, California, where he foregoes most of his formal education to help his mother run their farm. Uh, Then we're just going to kind of skip six years because not much happens with Johnny during this time. He leaves his house around 1870, and in David Johnson's book, which... We're going to have fun talking about David Johnson's book on John Ringo that I just took that picture from for Matt. Um, He makes it a a point. A real hard point to say that John Ringo did not leave his family in poverty. Apparently, that was a real big rumor and he had a real big stick up his butt about it. Um, Apparently, they were a nice middle class family. Johnny did not just abandon his family because they had TB. Just letting you all know that because Mr. Johnson felt like it needed about three pages to clarify that one sentence summary. I will. So we may as well just talk about it here. Uh, David Johnson is a really good researcher. Um, There are. He makes it very clear what side he is on. He is very pro John Ringo. Um, he is very anti Wyatt Earp and we'll, we'll get into that in a minute, but his first, the first half of his book is very good. It's very well researched. It's well reasoned. It's great. And then there's a quick flip (laughs) and, um, it's almost by the end of the book, it's borderline unusable because he sounds like a madman ranting on Wyatt Earp, but this isn't Wyatt Earp's episode, so we're going to stick with John for a bit, but we we can go into a little bit more reasoning on my disagreements with Mr. Johnson, but um, 
just know the man likes himself from John Ringo. So we just had a six-year gap where John just kind of works the family farm in California. And the next six years, um, kind of a mystery. Don't really know what happens, but he ends up making his way to Texas. But remember, he did not leave his family in poverty. Apparently, this is a very big point. Some reports say that he moved him Indiana to Indiana to live with an aunt and an uncle, or he went to Missouri to potentially settle land dispute. Regardless, he's in Texas in the time for what is called the Hoodoo War or the Mason County War. Without going into an extreme amount of detail, the Mason County War in Texas has actually been brewing for about 30 or so years, and it's actually going to continue on uh, longer past when when Ringo is there. What it comes down to, it's basically German immigrants versus Texan cattle, like cattle ranchers. The confusion seems to be over legitimate ownership of cattles. And I want to be stressed, it does seem like there was actual confusion. You would think it would just be theft, cattle rustling like we saw in Tom Horn's episode. And there's plenty of that to go around. But there does seem to be legitimate confusion because depending on what jurisdiction you had, if a cattle wandered onto your land, you could legally sell that cattle, whether it had your brand or not. And in other jurisdictions, you you couldn't. So after 20 or 30 years of this going on, add in another layer of degree of difficulty when you're talking about German immigrants with their accents, and then you have Texans with their accents, and it's just, it's a big cluster is what it ends up being. Feelings get hurt, and it ends up boiling into this in the 1870s uh, during the Mason County War. One of the key figures in that is its sheriff, John Clark. John Clark, not only is the sheriff, he is also the tax collector. So you name two more unpopular jobs in the county. Lawman and taxman, huh? Yeah. Um, doesn't seem like that could ever go wrong. Can't have any abuse of power there, can you? What do you mean you didn't pay your... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to take you to the old jail. What are you talking about? Yeah. You, you're not the law. Um, I am the law. <laughs> I am the law. Yeah, just 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 wait. Um, John Clark does have some allies. It's mainly most of it's mainly the Germans on the side. It's mainly the Germans in the county. Now, I want to be careful because I don't want to seem like John Clark was just using the the, the immigrants for his side, but um, it doesn't not seem like he was doing that to the Germans. John Clark seemed to be fair. However, if you were an enemy of John Clark, you believed he used his office to persecute his enemies and led a posse of his Germans. And they arrested multiple cat American cattle wrestlers in Lano County, uh, which doesn't seem like a big deal. But when you consider they're in Mason County and he's arresting cattle wrestlers in Lano County. He's crossing jurisdictions to do so. So he's kind of has um, he's crossed a quite literal line and people are kind of fed up with him and his ego. Five days after Clark crosses Lano County in 1875, a man is found dead on the side of the road. And according to a newspaper report, 
a card was found on the body saying, quote, I couldn't stop stealing cattle, so we killed him. Cattle rustling and suspected theft is a big deal in Mason County and Llano County. Now, because of this killing, that is going to respond revenge attacks. So days later, on the American side of the rivalry broke out into a deputy's house of John Clark, tortured him, demanded his keys to the jail, and when they refused, they stormed the jail and took the prisoners and lynched two of them before Clark led his own posse and an open fire that disbanded the mob. Jeez. It escalates very quickly. It seems like it's a small boil until literally he crosses a county line to arrest some cattle rustlers. Uh, apparently that same posse kills the man on the side of the road. They leave a note and now there's just there's revenge that's going to happen. Because of this, Clark is then forced out of town by another mob with really the Germans are the only group that are still backing and supporting him. While Clark is in exile, some view it as a county war was narrowly avoided, when in reality it was just in a lull. Because you gotta remember, Clark is still the tax collector for the county, so it's not gonna take much for him to find any, we'll call it evidence. And he finds some evidence on a man named Tim Williamson, who happens to be, may have been part of the mob that may have chased him out of town coincidence right big coincidence <laughs> big coincidence i don't know how this connection could have ever happened well williamson is arrested by clark and wouldn't you know it on the way to jail clark and williamson and i say this with the heaviest amount of quotes <laughs> they were ambushed but it seems like for two for them to be ambushed there were quite a few more holes in Williamson than there were in Clark because William ends, Williamson ends up dead and Clark, mm, I don't know, maybe had a slap on a wrist somewhere, but that's about it. So this murder brings in, the murder of Williamson brings in a former Texas Ranger named William Scott Cooley, who was so shaken up by this murder and to tell you kind of where his mental state was at, Cooley wouldn't shake hands with anyone after the murder of the after the murder of Williamson because he was afraid that when he was shaking someone's hand, that was also his gun hand. And if he didn't have his gun hand available, somebody could draw on him. Why was he so on edge? Uh, well, his friend was just murdered for a tax discrepancy. <laughs> but did he think he was next or something? I mean... He probably didn't think he was not, not next, if that makes any sense. I'm not saying you're next, but you're next. I mean, who's to say he doesn't have his own tax discrepancy that's going to come up? <laughs> uh, anyway, Cooley declares revenge on whomever killed his friend, and Cooley is friending Ringo. So that's how we can bring Ringo back. Everyone remember this episode is about John Ringo. He's still come back, buddy. Yes, you're back. Yep. We're talking about you again. Ringo, For it's your turn. Come on. <laughs> Catch up, man. He was, he was in hair and makeup. Sorry, everyone. He was in hair and makeup. <laughs> With his permanently pressed down hair. <laughs> yeah. He's like the kid. That's just the, like, he just, he's like checking his phone. He's not really, 
he's not really in the moment, but he's here, but he's always like five steps behind. He's, I mean, he's Johnny, he's all over the place. Let's be honest. So he brings Ringo in. So he brings Ringo in and uh, they waste no time in finding someone who they believe ambushed Williamson and killed him. And well, let's just say they shot him. They shot the man they suspected in the mob twice and stabbed him many times. A lot so they times. just said, hey, it was you. Bang, bang. <laughs> stab, stab, stab. <laughs> it's just some Joe Schmo walking down the street. Doo, 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 doo. It was him. What was me? to be fair Ringo was probably on his phone and was just stabbing like just going along with it he probably didn't even know he was murdering someone until like the 10th stab (laughs) he was just so nonchalant wait what are we doing wait what oh crap oh oh fine yeah that's fine guys cool so Clark now needs to get revenge in this tennis match that is becoming the Mason County War so you still have Cooley and Ringo versus we'll just say Clark we're just going to introduce, just to eliminate a bunch of names, we're going to say Clark and his friend Jim Chaney. Jim Chaney is now in and the crosshairs of Cooley and Ringo. Now, there had to have been some type of relationship between Cooley and Ringo and Chaney because Chaney, again, a friend of Clark, uh, invited them in for breakfast. And while the two are waiting to eat they wait for Cheney to start washing his face where once his face was covered with a cowl Ringo and Cooley shot him dead sounds about right (laughs) yeah so finally in December 1875 Cooley and Ringo are arrested but somehow not arrested for murder I couldn't find the charge but they're not arrested for the murder of Cheney I don't know why um, they both plead not guilty, but they are fined for disturbing the peace for $75. <laughs> they just murdered a couple people, at least a couple people. I mean, a $75 fine in the 1870s, pretty steep for disturbing the peace. They weren't exactly just playing loud music. Pretty sure they shot a man in the face and they called it disturbing the peace. Some type of deal was made. I don't know that, but I feel like I know that. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's going to be a lot of speculation in this episode. So if, if I am losing anyone, I sincerely apologize. But this took me an awful long time to get these names straight to see who was on whose side. So if I'm being confusing, I'm very sorry. So with this $75 fine, this very confusing timeline ends when the two outlaws Cooley and Ringo actually flee the Mason County war. Cooley breaks off from Ringo as he attempts to leave the County, but he mysteriously dies in a, in June, 1876 uh, rumors of being poisoned by arsenic. He maybe died of disease. He maybe faked his own death. Kind of choose your own timeline when it comes to Cooley. Uh, regardless, he's out of the story. Do you think Ringo killed him? I don't think so, but Johnny does some some weird things. Um, I guess we'll go into it, but I guess if he's always looking at his phone like our narrative is saying, um, he might have. Hmm. I mean, I thought he was going to be a good guy. Anyways. 
I mean, his his mustache is way too big for him to not to be an evil <laughs> Not to be an evildoer. I mean, you can you can almost see him twirling it in the picture. Ringo would spend the, the rest of 1876 less involved in the county war and more or less just working on his own. A newspaper article described Ringo as a leader of a gang of cowboys, that Ringo was, quote, a desperate and daring man. And in August, Ringo was reported as stealing cattle uh, and had a large posse that was sent in after him. Citizens of Mason County are still frustrated with the cattle rustlers, uh, and they end up resorting off to mob rule. But that's kind of it. Ringo now travels with a friend named Only, and they leave Texas together. And Halloween 1876, uh, after being suspected from cattle rustling, Ringo is arrested. He stays in jail through June 1877, so just about six months or so, six to eight months, uh, where he's issued arrest papers in November 3rd of that year and being placed under guard under the Texas Rangers Murray and is transferred to Austin, where he sits in the Travis County Jail, where just guess he just guess who he meets in the Travis County Jail. We've definitely talked about this person. I know, and I can't think of his name. It's, it's in Texas. It is deep in the heart of Texas. Is it uh, Bass Reeves? No, that's Oklahoma, but Bass didn't in Texas. We're about 20 years off from that. You're not too far off. Um, Don't but tell me. Don't tell very, me. Don't tell me. A very, very bad man. Very oh, bad uh, man. Travis? No. Very, no, no, no. Three names. Oh, uh, something, something Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> I give up. What is it? I mean, you you guessed William Barrett Travis twice. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, John Wesley Harden. Oh, okay. Yes, 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 yes. If you remember briefly um, in his episode, one of the few times uh, John Wesley Harden was arrested. But yes, he meets John Wesley Harden in jail. Turns out they were very friendly. Of course they were. Yeah. Tells you kind of the character of uh, John Ringo. That's fine. I'm sorry, David Johnson. Oh, boy. Just don't don't at us. In December 1877, Ringo applies for a writ of habeas corpus and is granted on bond of $2,500. He is set free until his court day. Much of the posse he was with is tried and convicted. Some in that posse get 99 years for murder. Some get 10 years for stealing. And Johnny Ringo gets the hell out of there. He flees. He runs for the border. He's not going to get arrested for anything. He's like, nope. No, you all enjoy jail. I'm just, I'm, I'm going to Arizona. He flees instead of showing up for his court appearance for some of the cattle rustling charge that he spends for the rest of 1878, leaving Texas and avoiding a hangman's noose. Uh, he isn't the only one. 1878 sees a lot of the Mason County war combatants fleeing for Arizona and New Mexico. For John Ringo, at least, and according to biographer David Johnson, he's starting to show signs of a severe drinking problem and suicidal thoughts. Johnson suggests that he may actually be suffering from PTSD from the Mason County War. Now, it's all speculation, but it is something to think about as we go on, because probably the second most famous story about John Ringo comes out around this time. Um, he leaves for Tombstone sometime in 1879, but in December that year, 
I don't believe he's in Tombstone, but he is at a saloon. And he's having a whiskey, which is very important that John Ringo loves him some whiskey. He is sitting next to a man named Louis Hancock or Lewis Hancock, and they start up a conversation. When Ringo offers Hancock a whiskey, Hancock replies that he's drinking beer. Do you want to guess how Mr. Ringo replies? Are you kidding me? A beer? We drink whiskey here, boy. Close. He hit him in the head with his pistol, (laughs) uh, which actually discharged and hit Hancock in the neck. Killing him. I know he's alive, but uh, I bet he wished he was dead. Oh, my God. Why? Just because I'm drinking a beer. Whack. Yeah. Um. What's the beer before liquor? Never <laughs> sicker. sicker. Yeah. <laughs> what's whiskey before Ringo? Like what, <laughs> what rhymes with hole in the neck? So he must be, I mean, I have to assume this, this dude is like pretty wasted when he does it. I think you can assume that he is drinking whiskey after all. Um, I think this also kind of shows he has a really quick temper. It also just kind of shows you he's kind of a dick. Yeah. So um, I will say David Johnson goes, uh, does at least three cartwheels uh, trying to defend this. Uh, He tries claiming that maybe the gun accidentally discharged, which is always, always self such a fun defense is the gunshot itself. Um, I don't personally buy it. If you want to believe it was a drunken accident, I'm more willing to believe that. But this is one of the more famous stories of Ringo. But it's more shown to to see like how much of a hothead he was rather than um, how much of a drunk he was. So whichever way you want to spin that story, either way, he shot a man in the neck because he was having a beer instead of whiskey. That's actually pretty insane. Yeah. Isn't it, though? Some a story you can only tell in the wild west <laughs> it only makes sense in this setting it doesn't make sense in any setting in any other world but in the american west you're like yeah, yeah plausible that makes sense yeah, yeah it seems about it, right it checks yeah. out it checks out <laughs> uh ringo was released on bail pending a grand jury hurry uh which is going to be convened the following year ringo was scheduled to appear before a grand jury in march 1880 but he f- fails to appear why? Um, well, he writes a nice letter explaining why he can't be there. Want, want to take a guess? What, what happened? Um, I'm sick. <laughs> Close. Uh, he shot himself in the foot. <sighs> this man allegedly discharges his pistol a lot, eh? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, hey, he shot that guy in the neck. It checks. It checks. <laughs> It all makes sense if he's just checking his phone the entire time. He's clearly not paying attention. He just meant to, I don't know, maybe he thought he was typing a text when he shot the guy in the neck. Who knows? Um, But anyway, after claiming to shoot himself in the foot, he writes in his letters explaining that he can't show up because of it. And he writes, quote, if you get me any papers for me and will let me know, I will attend to them at once. As I wish to live here, and I do not wish to put you in any unnecessary trouble. And I'm pretty sure on the page you can see the first use of a kissy face emoji <laughs> mocking them. 
I don't want to say I don't believe that story, but apparently the foot injury was real, but who's to say he didn't just shoot himself in the foot? Right. That is a widely, widely thought rumor of what actually happened. He just didn't want, he just didn't want to be there. Man, that's a good excuse. That's a interesting way of getting out of something. I wonder, I wonder if he was just sitting there and he goes, I wonder if I shot myself in the foot. <laughs> Do you think his big his foot like liked beer more than whiskey? Do you think he was having an <laughs> argument with his foot? He was that drunk. You know what? I like my I like my right foot more than my left. Say it again. Say it again. <laughs> I do like the thought of him drawing like fake fake like a smiley face on his foot and then having an argument with them. <laughs> I can't decide how we want to portray him. Is he like crazy like crazy teen texting on a phone or is he just delusional the entire time and having conversations with anything because i can go either way with this i think the delusional all right we're switching this narrative to delusional then <laughs> as if we really needed to switch it to delusional <laughs> so now we're in tombstone the wind to say that <laughs> I've been waiting to hear it too. Uh, so Tombstone, there is a reason. There is a beloved Western movie after this place. And I will tell you, Tombstone lives up to the hype to the point where you almost need to think of Tombstone itself as its own character. Now, what makes Tombstone different from just a typical mining town, it also has a lot of cattle in it so you not only have money from the mind you have uh you have money from the cattle ranchers as well because of this all of this money you have like an a an unusual amount of high-end gambling uh saloons in the town so think of tombstone as like the prep version of like a dodge city or an abilene or a deadwood just much more money with all of the dangers of it trying to kill you. Now, Tombstone, again, has only been around for about a decade at this point, but they already have something that's called the Cowboy Curse, which even shows up as soon as 1877 when there were reported 30 homicides committed in Pima County. I don't know how many people lived in Pima County, but uh, let's just say it was... Yeah, thirty-one. Yeah, <laughs> makes it pretty easy. Who was? I don't know what happened, guys. Uh, uh, I was just uh, minding my own business. So, um, outside of the thirty-one homicides, Tombstone is again more established than you would think. It has a public library. It has a cigar store. It has a school. It has masons, a miners union, a hospital, you name it, they have it. But what makes it unique in its layout is that the separation from polite society and probably like the seedy underbelly, they're all kind of mixed in. So like when you're in Deadwood, you're kind of in the shady part of Deadwood. Not that it's all that big, but there's a clear area where all of the shady activity happens, like the prostitution, the gambling, all of that. Tombstone is just kind of everywhere. Basically, 
Um, there was there was action all of the time. So like Tombstone is a town like you wouldn't bring your family on vacation. No, you wouldn't. Think of it as Las Vegas, but with probably more nudity and a lot more garbage. Like if Las Vegas was actually like a Las Vegas. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, there actually is a Las Vegas, uh, New Mexico, too, which we'll talk about that next episode for a bit. So in Tombstone, what you have to keep in mind is there are multiple factions with different allegiances. There are basically two different like feuding wars going on. One is a gambler's war, which we're going to touch on this episode, but really touch on it more next episode in Doc Holliday's episode. And then we kind of already have touched about it with John Ringo in the Cowboy Curse, where you have the Cowboys versus what is for a lack of a better name, Tom Clavin calls them the law and order faction, which is basically the Earps versus uh, the Cowboys. Um, yeah. And it's, it's just very interesting to see how both of these factions and like they work together. So just to touch on very briefly over the gamblers war. So because of all this money in town, you have very few men running most of the saloons and the most of the gambling in town, their allegiances are split. You have the slopers, which are on the which are on the western slope of the Sierra Nevadas. So their allegiances go to basically San Francisco. Then you have the Easterners, which is basically everything east of the Sierra Nevadas. So when you think of it, kind of, you know how we look at like the East Coast and then like we're in the West. Mm hmm where it's like that big territory, you kind of have to reverse your thinking on it with the Easters and the Slopers. The Slopers are basically California, the edge there. And then the Easters are literally like everything else. Think like to Dodge City, Kansas, things like that. But again, we'll touch about that a little bit more in Doc Holliday's episode next episode. So we now need to introduce ourselves to a couple more characters in this story. But first, because of the proximity of Tombstone, to the Mexican border, cowboys and cattle rustlers are having a heyday going across the Mexican border into Sonora, stealing cattle and then selling it in American stockyards. Mexican ranchers have had it up to here. Well, yeah, well, their stock's gone. <laughs> well, that's just and we're, we're not talking like they're stealing like five or ten cattle when they're on runs. They'll steal like a hundred head of cattle <laughs> from ranchers. And then, of course, there's revenge raids and then there's just murder that's going to happen. But we're going to get into that. In just, a bit. just straight murder. I mean, Tom Horn. This is Tom Horn's wet dream. That's <laughs> all that he is so excited for Tombstone. Um, he's actually kind of in the area, by the way. Do you remember that small part where in his story where he had a lot of his cattle stolen? Yes. We're not far off from that timeline because even as much as there's going on in Tombstone, we haven't talked about the Apache yet. That's actually going to be next month because it's Native American Heritage Month and we're going to be talking about two of the more famous Apaches. Uh, and they're a busy lot. Um, I can't wait to talk about them, but there is so much going on in this area. It's very hard to keep them straight. So I'm going to try to do my best here. So again, a lot of cowboys stealing cattles. We have the cowboy faction versus the law. What will become the law and order faction. 
depending on what source you use, and I think this is what makes Tombstone so fun to talk about, is there's so much like mystery and intrigue, and it kind of starts with the newspapers. The newspapers obviously have their own bias. You have the Tombstone Epitaph, and do you know why? They call it Tombstone Epitaph. Mm, is it like the unwritten rule of Tombstone or something? No, it's 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 more of a tagline. But do you know what an epitaph is? I, I do not. It's the it's the little saying on a tombstone. Oh, so like, here, here uh, So yeah, they say every tombstone needs an epitaph, and then their rival paper is called the Tombstone Nugget. <laughs> the epitaph. So like Silver Nugget, yeah, all that good stuff. Not as cool the name, I will admit. Not <laughs> the epitaph wins the name right. Uh, speaking of the the epitaph, the one we could do an episode on just the newspapers. Specifically, we could do an episode on John Clum. Um, we could honestly do episodes, multiple episodes on Tombstone. Um, everyone I bring up, we could do an episode on. So I'm going to try to, you know, just shut up about and just briefly describe them. But you have the epitaph who is more law and order faction and you have the tombstone nugget who more or less sides with the Cowboys. And depending on which source you like better, that leads to a lot of debate on tombstone. And it's, it's just fun to me. Um, I tend to obviously, I tend to side with the epitaph, but it's just know there's a lot of differing opinions to this day on what happens in this particular time in U.S. history, in Tombstone. So next up, we have Sheriff John Bean, who appears to be more on the cowboy faction than he is on the law and order faction. But his alliances basically are very straightforward. He would like to keep his job as sheriff and he would like to have more power. The cowboys are more or less willing to help him with that. His main rivals will be the Earp brothers who at some point in the near future, one of them will either be coming for his job or coming at him directly. And depending on the source, you can view John Bean as an honorable man, a trustworthy man, or a complete idiot, a crook, or just comically bad at his job. You get to take your pick. Ringo is firmly on the side of the Cowboys and the Cattle Rustlers. He be quickly becomes friends with the notorious Curly Bill Brocious, who will officially be getting his own episode when we talk. He will probably pair him off with Wyatt Earp. Um, I haven't quite decided that yet, but he's definitely getting his own episode. So we're going to talk about him quite a bit in this episode, but just know there's a lot more meat on this bone than when we than what we're going to talk about today. So this is your, your Curly Bill appetizer. We begin our Brocious story in 1879 when Brocious is accused of ballot, stopping, of ballot stuffing in April sheriff election. It's unclear if Brocious actually is guilty of, st of, of ballot stuffing or if just the Democratic Party didn't just bring in the Texans to stuff the ballot so that they could win. Um, it's unclear, but that's really the first time that we run into Curly Bill. Finally, we have the Clantons. The Clantons are the most famous of the cowboy faction. They are a family of former Confederates with a sizable ranch stocked with cattle that 
may or may not be theirs. <laughs> Jury's still out. Jury's still out. Who's to say? <laughs> they have multiple brands. Who doesn't have 13 brands on their cattle? I just, who doesn't? It's clearly all theirs. The patriarch, who goes by Old Man Clanton, which makes me chuckle for some reason, and he has his sons, most notably Ike and Billy Clanton. They had been in the area since the fallout of the Civil War, and they set up near a nearby military base named Camp Grant. And depending on your source, the Clantons are either horribly slandered or horrible outlaws. Back to Ringo. So again, Ringo, probably we have to have Ringo catch back up in his own story. So Johnny, catch up. Come on, you can do this. Johnny was described in this time as being six foot tall, rangy, bony, and strong as a horse. He had blue eyes, baby eyes even, that would cause you to love him when he was looking at you, but you wanted to travel away from him like lightning when he was under the influence of liquor. Again, the man did not do well drinking. He was admittedly, he would openly admit that he was the best pistol shot in the county. In fact, one of his favorite tricks was to hold his 45 caliber Colt with his left index finger in each hand with the barrels of the gun down. And at the word, he would give his pistols a three quarter turn, simultaneously shoot beer bottles and knocking them off the necks, necks off of one or two. Apparently, he would do this multiple times and he won a lot of beer bets doing this. Uh, he would do this at about 50 feet. It turns out John was a really good shot and really quick. He wasn't someone who would just shoot you in the neck with whiskey. He would make a trick at it, but he was very accurate with his shots. I should point out, I kind of already hinted at this. This is where David Johnson's book really takes a turn. Again, he's well-researched, but the man doesn't even pretend to hide a bias in the last half of his book. The first half of his book is actually focused on John Ringo. The last half of his book is basically an I hate Wyatt Earp party. <laughs> uh, and it gets real bad. Is it because he likes Ringo so much? Uh, yes, he likes Ringo that much. And he just, he hates himself. Some, uh, some Wyatt Earp. So do you want to know how petty it gets in Johnson's book over his hatred of Wyatt Earp? What? Wyatt Earp's full name is Wyatt Barry Sap Earp. And Johnson wastes at least two references where he like milks it. He says something to the tune of, and this just wasn't the case for Wyatt B.S. Earp. Oh, God. It's pretty bad. It gets to the point where like his book becomes borderline unusable. So I, I did go find other sources to use because wooey, was it bad? Um, were you like, at one point were you like, Oh my God. At some point I wish he would start talking about Johnny again. Cause I think there's like three chapters where he doesn't even mention Johnny <laughs> and it's his own book. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's an interesting read. If, if you want to listen or read it, the first half is very good. Second half, not so much. Anyway, now we need to talk about, uh, we need to continue talking about the cowboy curse. We'll start our foray into this cowboy curse in the fall of 1880, where Wyatt Earp will be appointed temporary marshal of Cochise County. He is appointed that because in October, 
Curly Bill Brocious were drinking and a group of cowboys were drinking and celebrating in a saloon. The drunk cowboys get out onto the streets and start firing their pistols in celebration. And when some of the cowboys realize that randomly shooting into public may bring some unwanted attention, the cowboys start to scatter. Everyone except Curly Bill Brocious, who didn't like this and started following his cowboy friend saying, this won't do. I don't know, but he was not like, I don't know. It was very weird. Bill then follows his friend to Toughnut Street, where then Deputy Fred White confronts Curly Bill. White Earp had been hearing, uh, had heard the gunshots and was holding a card game a couple streets down, and he also heads towards the gunfire. Wyatt meets his brother Morgan and then Frank Dodge on the way, and they grab their pistols. They approach just as Marshall White was demanding Curly Bill turn over his pistol. Wyatt unsure what the Cowboys were going to do, because remember, the Cowboys are still kind of around. So Fred White is kind of in a sticky situation. Unsure what to do, Wyatt throws his arms around Brocious as White shouted for him to give up his pistol. The gun is still in Curly Bill's hand when White reached for it and the gun went off. White is hit in the gut and will eventually die of his injuries. Wyatt then takes his pistol and buffaloes Brocious to subdue him while his other brothers and then Frank Dodge try to subdue the rest of the crowd that is now forming around them. Again, White would later die of his injuries. This scene is in Tombstone, if you remember near the beginning of the movie. What the movie does do differently, and again, you have to be careful with what source you use, but it does become clear to me, and I'm trying to combine a few sources here, it becomes clear to me that Wyatt did grab Curly Bill, which is a debate, because what happens next is that Curly Bill is actually going to be uh, acquitted of the murder of Frank White. Because he grabbed, or because Wyatt grabbed him, causing the gun to go off or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's unsure if Curly, I mean, to me, it seems like Curly Bill probably pulled the trigger, but there's enough doubt there that you, I mean, it was just a wrestling match that was happening. The gun went off. There was no way for you to really prove right. how the gun went off. So Curly Bill is actually going to get acquitted of this murder. But do you want to guess how Curly Bill celebrated his acquittal? Shooting into the air. <laughs> Close. He made a preacher dance at gunpoint. What? Why? Uh, you tell me. <laughs> This is also in Tombstone. It's actually like the opening scene, or I think that's actually where the inspiration comes out. There's not the big gunfight that happens, but um, yeah, Curly Bill, <sighs> what a guy. What a dang guy. You will notice that John Ringo isn't much of a, ra of a main character at this point. He's in the background, probably texting on his phone again. Ringo has a habit of popping up randomly, which gives you the impression that he's always there, but he's not really the main instigator. One of the better examples I have of this is during the killing of Dick Lloyd. In March 1881, Lloyd ran into John Ringo, Joe Olney, and Curly Bill on a cattle run, and I use the term cattle run very loosely, after they deliver, the three men are at a saloon together and they're playing cards. Lloyd becomes incredibly drunk 
and he's not allowed to keep playing with them anymore. Lloyd leaves angrily, gets into an argument, and then shoots a friend of Ringo and Brocious. <sighs> so despite shooting a man, Lloyd then comes uh, back in the saloon, but not just in any way. Because this is Dick Lloyd. He needs to make an entrance. He mounts a horse and rides the horse into the saloon. <laughs> where Ringo and Brocious shoot him off of the saddle. <laughs> Just kill him. Just kill him. Like, yeah! <laughs> this entire episode can be summed up by that soundbite. <laughs> Well, it's just so funny because it's like, I got to make an entrance. And then they're probably thinking, well, that was an easy shot. Well, that was dumb. Like, what, did, what did you expect to show up here? Yeah, it's 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 an interesting time. So uh, we're going to leave Ringo to steal some cattle for a time because we need to talk about one of the more consequential events in our timeline. It happened on March 15th, 1881, around 10 o'clock at night under a very bright moon. A stagecoach is headed for Benson and is traveling with about $26,000 in species on board. On the stagecoach is Bob Paul, a man named Bud Philpot, and a man named Rolig. They are traveling along when they are stopped by a man in the middle of the road saying, Hold by God, to which Paul replied, No, I hold for nobody. Paul then lowered his shotgun and shot the robber through. From there, 20 more shots are exchanged as the stagecoach tries to flee. Bud Philpot is killed instantly, but the stagecoach is able to get away. Mainly because of Rorig and Paul defending them off. As soon as Paul is able to, he wires Tombstone to let them know of the, of the attempted robbery, and a posse heads out immediately, but is ultimately unsuccessful in finding the robbers that night. It is determined that there are about four robbers and they identify a 45 caliber shell that was near the attempted robbery site. The next day, the Ert brothers and a large posse spend the next three days trying to gather names of suspected robbers. In short, they, they find the names of Jim Crane, Luther King, Bill Leonard, and Harry Hickey. All of them are suspects. But there's one other suspect that gets everyone's attention because it turns out a Doc Holliday, who was known for carrying a 45 caliber revolver, was also outside of Tombstone the night of the stagecoach robbery. He may also be a known friend of Billy Leonard. So... It's not looking great for Doc, who already doesn't have the best reputation in town. He's not exactly well-liked. Many in Tombstone, and even today, believe Doc was involved. Is he... In Tombstone, he's like best friends with Wyatt Earp, right? Yes, they're very close. Is that true in real life? Yes. Okay. Um, And because of the friendship with Doc... Many believe the Earps, while maybe not directly involved with the robbery, maybe had something to do with it. Really? Doesn't, Just maybe. Doesn't that tarnish their name? Oh, it does. Uh, let me reference you to a Mr. David Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's Who funny you should say that, Matt. <laughs> He'll tell you all about it um, multiple times, redundantly, for the next 200 pages of your life. Jim Crane and Luther King, two of the suspected robbers, uh, two of those robbers, Jim Crane and Luther King, are suddenly people everyone wants to talk to. Rumors that Wyatt Earp and his brothers haven't been so keen on people talking to Luther King because there may have been a meeting between the Earps and King sometime before the stagecoach robbery. King would obviously be able to identify the the mastermind and his accomplices. However, on March 18th, 1881, Luther King, who was arrested, escapes custody after Sheriff Harry Woods let's just say turns his back against the front door in jail. And maybe Luther King just walks out. Dang. I wonder if he was paid off. I mean, who's to say that there wasn't a well-rested horse just outside the door. No. And maybe, maybe he just got away scot-free. Who's to say? Yeah. It's, um, this bench and stagecoach mystery goes in a few different ways <laughs> they are able to apprehend luther king regardless of how luther king escapes depending on what source you use he either escapes permanently or he gets killed right away because he just vanishes from the record he may have been lynched by a mob he may have got off scot-free so we don't know whatever happened to him you don't know what happened to luther king I feel like that happens a lot in Tombstone. (laughs) He's just gone. (laughs) It's not where the bodies are buried. Uh, Yeah. So we're going to leave the mystery of Luther King and what happened to him. Matt, what happened to Luther King? Just tell us what definitively tell everyone. (sighs) He was leaving town. And he didn't, and he wasn't watching where he was going. And he stepped into a, uh, like a little hole in the ground and it caused him to roll off of a cliff off a tiny hole in the ground. Yeah. It was on the edge of a cliff. So he was, he tripped, sprained his ankle. <laughs> and the last, right. the last thing anyone ever heard of him was, ah. <laughs> God's sake. when you saw, when you heard my when you ankle, do you know where i thought you were going with that (laughs) um when you said tiny hole on the ground i thought of the bat of the 1980s movie where like the the worms come out of the oh tremors tremors Tremors. yeah i thought you were going the tremors route where he just got sucked up by one of those so funny story as he was going down the the mountain a graboid grabbed him and that's my story i'm sticking to it not the not the ankle one. I mean, no, he, he did twist his ankle, but I mean, a monster got him too. Okay, he was having a bad day. It was bad luck. Okay, real bad luck. At least he didn't feel the impact of the ground. No, he didn't. He just felt the impact of a large intestine <laughs> of a large worm or something, whatever that thing's called. The graboid. There it is. Okay, so now we need to go focus our attention on John Ringo, because if you haven't, I, I forgive you for forgetting, this is actually an episode on John Ringo. I don't know if we know this yet, 
but uh, he's not an actual suspect on the robbery. But instead, Ringo is more in the cattle wrestling between Mexican ranchers in Sonora, Mexico, and then American cowboys. Uh, now, well, now we need to add in some Mexican outlaws who are now trying to take American cattle onto this whole cluster that is Cochise County. So people, so Americans are stealing, Americans are stealing Mexican cattle, and then the Mexicans are going back over and stealing American cattle. At this point, they're stealing the same cattle. It's just who's taking it from who and like who it belongs. I don't even think they could tell who it belongs to. You weren't to joking point. when you were like 13, 14 brands. <laughs> There's the amount of time it took. So typically, it takes me like, I don't know, 20 hours, 20, 30 hours to do an episode complete fullback. I had to, I mean, I. I had to just look, I had to read an entire book just on Tombstone. And then obviously we had John Ringo. And then like the book on Doc Holliday I have was very helpful. Like it, I'm not, it was probably like 60, 70 hours into just Tombstone before like some of some, it just kind of clicked how all of this happened. Uh, I hope I'm keeping this straight for everyone because it was very confusing. <laughs> anyway. One of Ringo's companions at this time is a man named George Turner. Turner is killed when he is driving a large stock of cattle when he is ambushed by Mexican outlaws. Upon inspection of Turner's books, though, the livestock he was carrying, we'll just say there were discrepancies in his book as well. So the thief got caught by more thieves. Just more to our point of there's a lot of theft going on in this point. So while Ringo isn't necessarily at the forefront of these raids, he is there. In one raid, four Mexicans are killed and $4,000 are stolen, plus a couple hundred head of cattle that Ringo is involved in. After this, Mexican ranchers now threaten that any American that has simply stepped foot in Sonora will be openly fired on. So now you, now you can't even go there. You can't even go there. Honey, we still going. We still going this weekend to Sonora for a family vacation. You can get real cheap tickets right at this moment. <laughs> yeah, not the best place to be. On the American side, newspapers such as the Tombstone Epitaph are now calling for lynch laws for suspects of rustling. Oh, so now, now you just you just you just can't do anything. Yep, I mean. I don't know how to explain this. You probably shouldn't steal someone else's cattle. Um, I'm also wondering, Tom Horn, you're in this area, man. Like, what is take like what's this is going on? for the pickings, man. <laughs> this this was your wet dream ten years before you were in Wyoming. I just I thought of this the entire time. Why Tom Horn isn't doing anything about it. Well, David Johnson won't deny that Ringo isn't stealing cattle. He does kind of bend over backwards trying to say that he's not as guilty as you think uh, because and one of his examples is Ringo is sitting down with a man in a saloon who convinces Ringo that Mexican outlaws had stolen his cattle only that Ringo who then steals the cattle back <laughs> from the Mexican outlaw. It turns out the man in the saloon was lying to Ringo. So Ringo stole the cows <laughs> from an actual rancher <laughs> It was the actual rancher's cattle, and he just <laughs> lied to get the cattle from an honest working man. 
yeah some version of the yeah um you're like just I, I don't want to say it but yes <laughs> yes he did i mean he just stole it man like why are you doing this he st- he clearly stole these cattle on the mexican side of the border it's getting well even more serious other than just open season on americans because now the mexican army is starting to send in troops to the area oh they ain't messing and around on- no, they're not anymore. And also, we haven't talked about the Apache yet. The Apache have been stealing cattle from both sides for decades. <laughs> the Mexicans. Uh, I bet they were mad. Like, wait, why are you getting into our game, man? Leave us alone. I mean, we'll we'll talk about the Mexicans and the Apaches relationships next month when we talk about Geronimo because they have a lot of blood on their hands. So I'm not necessarily feeling bad for the Mexicans and, and this time, but... Um, they mean business. They're no longer just, they're not playing around anymore. Uh, on August 12th, five Americans are killed by five Mexican or by 50 Mexican soldiers at an ambush at Guadalupe pass. One of those men killed was Jim Crane. One of the suspected Benson stagecoach robbers. Now that means at least two of the suspected Benson stagecoach robbers are now dead. And only a few of them can tell you if Doc Holliday was in on it or not. Hmm. Well, uh, we'll leave that cliffhanger for next episode. But just know the stagecoach robbers are kind of being picked off. The ambush leads to obviously more conflict for Ringo, who at this point is suffering from a severe drinking problem likely ptsd and depression well all his friends are dying (laughs) he makes a friend dead makes a friend dead makes a friend dead you're not wrong you know i never really connected that until now but you know nature versus nurture nature hasn't been great to him has it her nurture hasn't been great to him so far to have a sharp turn into the story, we're going to leave Ringo and we're going to talk about the OK Corral shootout because that also happens around this time. Now, Ringo isn't personally involved in it. However, um, it is a major event in the area. We're going to spend a lot more detail in the next episode and Doc Holliday's episodes about it. So I'm just going to touch on it briefly here. But quickly the issue comes from the herbs and the Clantons when it reaches a boiling plate, a boiling point on October 25th, when Ike Clanton, a friend of John Ringo is eating at the occidental saloon. When a very drunk doc holiday enters in and starts cursing out Ike Clanton after a lot of posturing and name calling throughout the night, the night ends on the verge of violence the next day. And depending on what source you use, you're either going to believe Ike Clanton was so embarrassed that he was willing to kill the Earp brothers and Doc Holliday, or the Earp brothers were trying to provoke Clanton into a fight that he couldn't back out of. Regardless, it ends in the most famous shootout in American West history. A month after the shootout on November 1881, Ringo is brought up on felony charges likely stemming from the poker game he just held up a couple months back. Stepping up his game, Ringo was then accused of being part of the posse during a stagecoach robbery that had a fleeing John Clum. Now, John Clum 
is also one of these people who could get an episode. He is the mayor, former mayor of Tombstone. He is also the former editor of the Tombstone Epitaph. He's a big deal in the area. We're also going to be talking about him a little bit in the Apache episode. Just know that this man kind of pops up everywhere. The reason we're talking about him here is because it is suspected John Ringo may have held up a stagecoach when it was trying to rob a bullion train or a wagon that was in the same party, if that makes any sense. Um, John Clum gets off safe, but just know Ringo might be stagecoach robbing. On December 28, 1881, Virgil Earp is walking between the Oriental Saloon and heading towards the Cosmopolitan Hotel. He is walking when he is shot in the left arm and in the back. The Tombstone Epitaph reports that there were five shots made by hidden men, one of which is suspected and rumored to be John Ringo. Although David Johnson believes he wasn't even in town because, of course, he believes he wasn't in town. <laughs> he was off somewhere. Yeah, he was, he's, he's so innocent, this John Ringo. Look at this man. Does this look like a man that is so innocent? <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Now, it's unclear. So from here, it's unclear when the feud between Doc Holliday and Johnny Ringo began. However, it may have escalated uh, during Doc's trial in the aftermath of the OK Corral shootout. There is speculation that Johnny Ringo moved into the same boarding house as Doc Holliday's on-again, off-again girlfriend, Kate Elder. Uh-oh. Though the rivalry likely stems from the Clantons versus the Earps, because I've said before, Ringo was a friend of the Clantons. But the intrigue is there. And Kate Elder, also another person who could we could spend a lot of time on, on January 1882, Ringo ran into Doc and the Earps in a shouting match on a street. Ringo challenged Wyatt to settle things one-on-one, -on -one, like a man, mano y mano. Like a man. Saying, quote, Wyatt, let's end this row. It's going on long enough. Let Holiday and me get out of here in the middle of the street and shoot it out. If you get me... The Cowboys will go home and consider the feud ended. And if I'm the winner, you agree to do the same and it will all be over. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Sure, Johnny. You have been the side character during your own episode and you're telling me <laughs> that <laughs> you shooting Doc Holliday is going to end this feud forever. Okay, I believe you. Wyatt Earp was either shaking with cowardice or he bravely refused. In some accounts, the challenge was actually made directly to Doc and Holiday stepped up and accepted and saying the words, I'm your Huckleberry, that's just my game. There's the quote. That's that we've been leading up this entire episode for those eight words. <laughs> so he actually said that in one version of this story. And there are multiple versions of the story, just like the rest of this episode. Um, I think what's fascinating about Tombstone is I could rewrite this, uh, this article and make 
John Ringo seem completely innocent or like, I don't, it's just fascinating how many different versions of it. So I'm trying to combine a bunch of sources here, but yes, in one version, he does say, I'm your Huckleberry. That's just my game. However, because deputies are buzzkills, they don't actually let them become <laughs> because de- deputies are buzzkills. Because they haven't stopped enough shooting. Like, I don't know. There's been plenty of shootings in the streets, but this one they can finally de-escalate and stop. But okay. Uh, they're able to stop and each man is arrested. There are no other charges, but there are uh fines issued after, mainly for carrying a concealed for carrying a weapon inside of town boundaries, which the amount of times I read that charge, like carrying a a weapon in town boundaries, uh, it's basically like they were handing that out like candy. Everyone was getting this fine. It seemed to be like the, I don't know what to charge you with, but I know you're guilty of something. So here we go from here in what seems to be a wink and a nod statement Wyatt Earp has a conversation with Johnny Ringo's lawyer at the time and and Ringo's lawyer informs Earp that if there was any fighting that was about to happen, Ringo wanted nothing to do with the future fighting. The next night, Morgan Earp is shot and killed <sighs> playing pool. And that is the youngest brother? That is the younger brother, yes. So yeah, Ringo's lawyer the day before Morgan Earp is killed is talking to Wyatt Earp saying that if, you know, something goes down, Johnny wants nothing to do with it. The next day his brother's killed. I don't want to say there's speculation there that he had something to do with it, but I'm not not saying it either. Many believe that if Ringo was not directly outside the window, he may have been at least holding the horses while it was going down. Regardless, Wyatt claims revenge on the murder of his brother, and John Ringo and a man named Frank Stillwell are kind of near the top of that list. Stillwell is Frank is met is dealt with pretty quickly when Wyatt finds him with a shotgun at very close range, and that's the end of Frank Stillwell. <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. Yeah, he's just gone. Uh, Frank Stillwell, congratulations. We said your name. You're now dead. Um, That's all we need to talk to you about. However, in the most anticlimactic way, Wyatt Earp does go on an awesome vendetta ride, but Johnny Ringo isn't going to be part of it. Uh, He may have been there during the killing of Curly Bill Brocious. Uh, if in fact Curly Bill Brocious was actually killed by 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 Wyatt, we don't really know. Well, this is the part of the movie where it's like uh, I believe it's like a montage, right? Where they're like all yes. riding out in a big posse and they're freaking yes. Uh, but they do make it very definitive that Wyatt does kill Curly Bill. Um, that very much is up for debate. Some believe Curly Bill just you know disappears, all that good stuff. Um, I don't think a body was ever found. There's a lot of debate on what actually happened to Curly Bill, but he definitely leaves the story during this time. So I don't he did. know. He did. Uh, I think it's pretty clear he was dead. It's just whether if Wyatt Earp killed him or not. So while Wyatt is out killing half of Cochise County on revenge for his brother, John Ringo would stay in Tombstone and would bounce around from place to place. 
And in May 1882, he ends up on trial for murder, but is exonerated and leaves court as a free man. Couldn't find any more information on the murder. Don't know what it was about, but just know he was acquitted of murder. Around July 1882, suffering from depression, an interviewer from the Tombstone Epitaph is talking to Ringo when Ringo is to have told him, quote, that Ringo was as certain that he was being killed as he was to live two days on from then. Ringo was then later seen riding in the area on a week-long bender. He's just drunk for the next week. And in a very drunk, riding in his saddle, that was the last time anyone had ever seen him alive because sometime in the desert in Arizona, he takes his own life on July 13th, 1882. No way. I was about to say, like, I thought you were going to say he rode off and no one ever saw him again. And I was about to be like, that is the coolest way to never hear about someone again. But dang, then you ended on a solemn note again. I'm sorry. We all know that. How else did you think his story was going to end? I mean, a blaze of glory would have been great. Suicide is never, never a great way to end an episode. But um, man, he was really messed up, huh? He went through a lot. He was in the background of a lot. Um, I don't think we've ever had anyone who's been his own back character in his own story. Um, yeah, the Donner Party, the girl we looked at for the Donner Party. Oh, yeah. Sarah Graves? Sarah Graves. You're right. Okay. That is John Ringo. And now it is our solemn duty to rank him. First round. Are you satisfied? This is our biography round. We're going to be handing out negative 10 points apiece and to positive 10 points apiece, depending on how well we liked his story. Um, here's the thing. I didn't really necessarily like his story, but everything else <laughs> that was going on around it was good. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say John Ringo got an episode because I needed to get words off of Doc Holliday, but I'm not not saying that either. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. I feel like he was was he the catalyst to a lot of things? I, I feel like he would show up and then stuff would just happen. I do like that version. I think he was just more there. Like he was a really good like sidekick. He was the best Robin to like Curly Bill or Ike Clanton or um doc holiday to wider cool yeah like i think yeah he that's probably the best way but there's just not much written about him um because even the author of the book that let the only book that's written on him um the author takes quite the tangent to rant about another man in his own book so I'm kind of after this, though, this is kind of getting me excited for a Wyatt Earp episode because I just don't think that man like he seems like in the movies and stuff. They play him off as this like super big hero, but he might have been a bad dude, too. That is Tombstone. And that's like that's that I like I like some mystery in my history sometimes. And like I it's Tombstone is just like the perfect mix of like substance and foolishness like it's weird it's quirky and i love it um overall though uh okay i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap the whole story up as one and i'm gonna give it a seven and a half positive seven 
See, I think he's a bad guy, so I'm gonna go negative. Oh damn. Um, but okay. Oh, hold on. Before you go negative, let me just say, I don't think. Okay, so that whole area was like a lawless, like crazy fest, right? Yeah. So that's why. Is there even any bad guys there, or there is there any even any good guys? They are all just there. <laughs> what is life? <laughs> Why are we here? <laughs> I'm just saying it's so it was such a bad place that like what else can you do? Not steal cattle, <laughs> not kill, not shoot. Someone. All right, all right, all right. I would say you don't um, shoot someone in the neck for having beer. <laughs> Okay, so I'm I'm gonna change it to a negative seven and a half. <laughs> I mean, you can keep your seven and a half. I think it's no. I I forgot. Okay, I, I'm gonna be honest. I forgot that we do like can go negative up to negative ten. To be fair, we haven't given out a negative score since Custer. Yeah, everyone's been positive since Custer, and he was sixteen, and this is now twenty four. So. Um, I'm not going to go quite as high because I'm going to just really focus on just his story. And if it's just his story, there's not a lot of meat on those bones. There's a, he's kind of like a shadow figure. Um, so you can kind of shape him to whatever you want him to be. Uh, I'm going to go negative four. Um, not because I don't like the story. I just feel like I want to save the big scores for, those that do a lot in the story, that's more like documented and FYI, it's the next episode. Um, I'm really excited to talk about Doc Holiday, but yeah, we're talking about John Ringo and the, he has a negative score of 11 and a half after Are You Satisfied? Next round, be sure you are right, then go ahead. This is our morality round. We'll be handing out negative 10 points to positive 10 points, depending on how good or bad we thought he was. And David Johnson is listening to this right away. There is a right and a wrong answer. Listen, David Johnson, he's bad, okay? <laughs> yes. I mean, White Earp may be bad too, but that doesn't, that doesn't bring up the fact that he's a bad dude. You think Wyatt Earp might be bad. David Johnson knows he's bad. He knows it. I don't no think doubt. Ringo, I don't think um was like the worst one we've we've done. That's why I'm gonna just do negative six. Fair. How much do you want to blame on PTSD and depression? That yeah, but at the same time. Uh, I can't think of his name. His friend that brought him there. They killed someone. Yeah. Yeah. Cooley. They yep. killed someone. Then they got and then someone they knew died. So then they went and killed again. It's not like they he was just there as a friend and then been like, oh, wait, what's going on, man? Right. <laughs> We're killing people now. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, yeah. I don't think he didn't like not like killing. Um, What else is there to add there? Not much. I'm going to go negative five. I don't have really much to add to that. Again, that gives him a negative score of negative 11. Next round, to hell with the consequences. We're going to be handing out negative 10 points apiece to positive 10 points apiece, depending on if we think he was more crazy or if we think he was more clever. 
I don't think there's much here. Crazy. I don't think there's much here to really judge either way. I mean, he had PTSD and he was doing, he was being crazy and killing people and being all goofy and goofish. Right. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm going to, I'm going to do negative two. I don't was, I don't think he was crazy at all. I'm going to go negative one, but I don't, I mean, he shot a guy in the neck for having beer. We've already talked about that. Um, I don't think he actually answered if he was a Huckleberry. <laughs> yeah, I think he was. I mean, it just depends on how much how much mental deterioration became from alcohol and all that. He did rob a poker table uh, for essentially not getting his all of his money back. So maybe I'm going to go negative four. I'm going to go just a little bit because there he does kind of go off the end there on the end. I don't want to make a, a mental health issue out of it, but um, I don't know how much to weigh on that either. So uh, I think negative four is fine. Matt has a negative two. That gives him a negative six. So now we are going to lock his score. He is at negative 28 points. That means we are going to continue to subtract points from his score. Uh, if he would have been positive, we would have been continued to add points to a score. So the next round, draw. If we were in a shootout, if we were in a duel with Johnny Ringo, how screwed are we from zero to ten? He was a great shot. He was a great shot. And he was crazy, I think. So <laughs> I'm going to say like an eight. I might get lucky. Maybe. You might. <laughs> yeah, he was a good shot. I think we are in trouble here. Who's another eight that we've given? Uh, Sitting Bull, you gave a seven. Crazy Horse, you gave a seven. Red Cloud, you gave an eight. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that's fair. Excuse me. I'm going to go negative seven. I'm slightly less intimidated, but I still don't think we're coming out of that alive. Not that we're coming out alive in any of these. But So that gives him a, negative, a score of negative 15. Next round, Legacy. How well-known is he? We're going to subtract points from 0 to 10. And how much does one movie line from 1992 boost your legacy? Well, so... He was in Tombstone. He was the second in command, right? Or is that kind of just like towards the end of the movie? I think, I mean, you got to look at the Clanton. You got to look at John Behan. You got to look at Curly Bill. I mean, he's he's a ways. He's a very important sign character. Even when I was like, uh, I mean, yeah, we talked about this at the beginning before we started recording, but even my dad thought we were doing Bill. (laughs) Not yet. Right. So I'm going to go ahead and say, what are you saying? Negative two. Uh, not high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll say the same. I'll say the same. I I had never heard of him, so. And the OK Corral is kind of a big deal too. So, I mean, I feel like he, he he we would like have been known more, you know. Right. Yeah, he was. I mean, he was just around the secondary character. Yes. He was not a uh, main character mojo or whatever that's called. I just showed my age there, didn't I? Wow. I had no idea what you're talking about, so you must be older than me. So, By a couple months. How dare you? <laughs> Next round, you 
monster. Next round, death bonus. This is we're going to be handing out bonus points from negative from from two to to negative two, and if we think had a cool death story, and I really don't. Zero. Want yeah, we're not going there. Um, zeros around. Next round, counting coup confirmed ish kills. We're going to divide that number by ten. Take, take a, a guess. guess. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I'm going to say ten. Eight, lower. Four, lower. Two. There you go. Two. Two. Two men confirmed. No way. He was exonerated of a lot of murders, which means he probably killed more than two. But there's only two that were confirmed. Both in the Mason County War. Dang. Okay. Yep. Okay. So that was right at the beginning. Yeah, it happened right away. Um, and you could even say that Cooley was even uh, the one that did it. Okay. And now we need to figure out who's drafting, whose team he's going on. As you know, Eric's going to grab a coin, head or tails. I'll call it. Winner gets to draft on their team. Each of our teams consists of 20 figures. Once we fill up both of our teams, the rest will go into a, a free agent pool that we can drop one of ours we have to keep the teams at 20 at the end we're gonna battle everyone big battle royale ncaa bracket style and see who's the best figure of the west eric i'm calling it i'm calling it tails because tails never fails it is you froze oh tails 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 i'm passing are you? Yes. Here's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say if if I pick him, I mean, he's going to be one of the first people we drop. I don't think he stands a chance of being on any of our teams. I don't think there's a lot of hook there because, I mean, I, as much as I love the I'm your you're my Huckleberry or I'm your Huckleberry story. Um I don't think that's going to mean anything. <laughs> so I'm going to pass as well because I think me and Matt are going big, uh, big game hunting for Doc Holiday the next episode. <laughs> that's exactly what we're doing. <laughs> and I do know, I do want to let us know the next two names we're doing after that. And it's also a big name. Uh, we're going to be covering in November. So we have Doc Holiday after this. We're going to be doing Cochise after him. And then at the end of November or in the middle of November, we're going to be doing Geronimo. So I think we both have 11 members on our team. And I think we need to be strategic over the last eight. And John Ringo, I just don't think you're going to make that cut. So. Oh, I accidentally put my name down. I'm not drafting him. Oh, nope, nope. It's already been done. It's already been done. Nope. Okay, so um, I hope you liked our appetizer on Doc Holiday today because we barely covered Johnny Ringo. Uh, we gave him a score of negative uh, 47.7 somehow. Um, and with that, I think... And Doc Holiday is going to be pretty juicy, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. So juicy. <laughs> it's it's pretty exciting. 
is what it is. I mean, he's a mixed bag. Um, John Johnny Ringo is a good good appetizer for him. I'm not going to tell you he's any better. I'm not going to tell you he's any worse. Just know he uh, he lives up to that hype. <laughs> but you do have two weeks to watch Tombstone. You do, and I would, because the movie is not necessarily inaccurate. There's sometimes where like they mix a few things up, and like obviously it's not a hundred percent accurate, but it's it's pretty close. It's not off, not bad. So, a couple things got different. Yeah, still a pretty good movie. Just go watch it because it's a good movie, and go watch uh, Cy Tolliver before he's in Dead. Does Dead every Dead. movie have to be accurate? I mean, come on, right? Yes. <laughs> Remember, if you like what you heard today, go ahead and like and subscribe. Leave us a comment on whatever podcast service you are listening on. Uh, We really appreciate it. And you can always check out our website, ranking76.wordpress.com, where you will find a link to all of our social media, our email. You can see the scorecards. You can check out the other episodes you may have missed. Um, We really appreciate it. But until then, as always, I'm Matt. I'm Eric. Goodbye to you. Goodbye to you. Goodbye to you.